That was really special to hear from Rami and Wad, and I'd like to thank them for sharing their personal story of arriving here and also um, letting us know how we can support refugees in Australia. Um, we now have Manoj Chaco, the Senior Minister of South, of South Liverpool Anglican Church, who will share with us his personal experiences of how and why his church community has assisted refugees. Manoj arrived in Australia as a migrant from India in 1991 with his wife, Ramabai, and their two children. He was Assistant Minister at Moorbank Anglican Church for 14 years and since 2008 has been the Senior Minister at South Liverpool Anglican Church. Manoj has been ministering to migrants, refugees and asylum seekers for the past 22 years. His Doctor of Ministry thesis, which he completed in 2016, was titled Strangers at Our Door and it explains the church's response to asylum seekers, um, the asylum seeker crisis. Ramabai has been teaching at TAFE since 1992. Their family has grown since arriving in Australia and they now have four grandchildren. Please welcome Manoj. So thank you for having me here. I'd like to thank Andrew and the team uh, for having me here. And as I stand here to share on this uh, issue of long-term uh, involvement with asylum seekers and refugees, uh, I need to acknowledge that I am the spokesperson of a church of members, several of them work together to serve this group of people. So, although I'm standing here, I need to acknowledge that there are others part of the team. Secondly, I need to also acknowledge one more thing, that is, we got involved in this through the Ministry of Anglican Aid. Uh, David Mansfield took our church house party. His topic, the topic we had was, grace changes everything, changes the heart. And um, the week after, a few days after the house party, we were thrown nearly 60 asylum seekers from Sri Lanka. And we uh, went and that's how we got involved with asylum seekers. At that time, I personally had no idea about the differences between refugee and asylum seeker. Thirdly, I, I need to also acknowledge that as we got involved, yes, I got a demon, but the point was, it's out of the sadness of vulnerable people. We had to experience the tears of these people, the agony. And uh, so as I share, it's actually out of these three things that I just mentioned. The world is now seeing unprecedented mass of displaced people. We are seeing internally displaced and people fleeing countries. We all know, I don't have to tell you, that four million people out of war, devastation, civil unrest and persecution fled Syria. And they also say that in the next two months, three months, if things are remaining as a stalemate between what's happening in Syria 
there'll be another two million fleeing. Significant numbers of people have been seeking asylum here in Australia. The actual intake, as you know, is smaller than other developed countries. Australia, a very welcoming country. My wife and I, our children, we came here in 1991. We were privileged to come here at that time. And we thank God for the welcoming, the welcome we got. But unfortunately, the media, the local politicians have been demonizing asylum seekers. As I share this, please understand, I'm not taking any political stand. I'm just sharing from a biblical perspective. With no solution in sight, there will be more asylum seekers knocking at our door, not just out of war, but even out of climate and economic issues that's facing our region. How will the Church of Jesus Christ respond to this growing crisis that we want to hide from today? Just some definitions. Who is an immigrant? An immigrant is someone who's left his country and is in another country legi legitimately. Now, why I'm sharing this, if you're involved in long-term asylum seeker ministry or refugee ministry, these basic things must be understood. So here is some like, people like us who come professionally skilled or family reunion. We come here. But who is an asylum seeker? Asylum seeker is someone looking for a refuge. Someone who arrives in Australia on a valid visa, tourist working class business, and claims at one of the immigration department offices that his life is at risk due to political, religious, ethnic heritage, their papers are being processed. That person is called an asylum seeker. A refugee is someone who has sought asylum at the border security or home ministry now, found to be a genuine one according to the Geneva Convention. He is or she is or they are refugees. That's what we see in Rami's story. It's amazing to hear him uh, share, he and his family sharing their story as they've come out of uh, Syria and settled in here as refugees. But then we have another category called illegal maritime arrivals, boat arrivals that came between 2012 and uh, January 2014. We, in our church, we have to deal with many of them. We had over 200 uh, families going through our church, just reaching out during this time when they were put into community detention or community housing. And uh, many of them came into our church and we reached out to them. But as we look at all these categories that have come up there on the screen, in the, new, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's one word that appears 92 times and describes all these group of people except the illegal maritime arrivals. They use one word, ger, G-E-R. It means alien, foreigner, sojourner, stranger, 
someone who is in transit. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Generous Justice, says, girl, best translates as immigrant. So all of them are immigrant in the Old Testament. You find, if you look at what the media talks about in Europe, they'll say 400 migrants from Africa were in a boat that capsized. Migrants. They don't use the word as we use here in our country. Today, as we all know, there are 68 million people displaced. One out of 113, according to UNHCR. There are 44,000 people fleeing per day their homes. 44,000. Over half of these are under the age of 18. As I speak, and as you hear, there's a man, a woman, a child fleeing their home every two seconds. Some of you may know these stats, but some of you may be new. But this needs to be understand, understood if you want to be involved in long-term help or long-term involvement with refugees. But the question we've got to ask is, why do these displaced, suffering, vulnerable people evoke fear in our society? Reasons for demonizing them? It's not illegal, first of all, to seek asylum in a country. It's a misnomer to say illegal asylum seeker. It's not illegal at all for someone to come seeking asylum. So we need to understand asylum seekers different from a refugee. Refugee is someone who's come, papers processed, arrived here. Another one is an asylum seeker who comes looking out for asylum. Queue jumpers. There are no queue jumpers. There are no, it's a misnomer. Again, sorry, it's, it's a misconception that media and the politicians throw it out to us. There's no queue. They start helping people from Sudan, and then there's a crisis in uh, Syria. They take people from Syria. That's how they operate. Why? There's no queue at all. And there's boat people, the ones that we've been uh, helping. In, in the, they say that 70% of the boat people who arrive uh, actually are found genuine. So this is some of the myths that are thrown at us by uh, the press and the politicians. But the question now I've got to ask is, what is God's view of asylum seekers? What is the biblical perspective? You take the story of the Bible as a whole. What is the theological reflection? Immigration because of uh, economics, war and asylum seekers is not uh, far from the Christian heritage. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, we find records of God's generous heart of placing people created in His image to be in charge of the, in the Garden of Eden. So, right there, when they were disobedient and thrown out, they were our first refugees. And as they were thrown out, God cared for them, gave them 
clothing. And it was God's pleasure and purpose to have people fashioned under him as they went out to he, they continue to God continued to care for them and the the biblical narrative is all about people uh, who were on the move. We have Cain and Abel. We have Noah due to harsh and in a violent world. But after the flood, the family scattered, searched for land. But the best story of all is Abraham and Sarah. They were economic migrants. They were promised a land. And they went. But there, because of a drought, they had to go to Egypt. Climate refugees. And then we find fast track them. We find uh, under Joseph, uh, he was sold as a, he was a trafficked. He was a, he was involved, I mean, he was a, he was the victim of slave trade. They were all girls. They were all people who, in the, in the biblical narrative, we see constantly on the move. The, the biblical narrative is all about people on the move, searching for land. Jesus himself was a refugee. At three months, or maybe under two years, he was taken as a refugee to Egypt. But he was also an internal displaced person. The early church was very comfortable in Jerusalem. It was persecution that caused the gospel to spread. The people, the, the uh, disciples, the early church were all refugees, asylum seekers, and they took the gospel wherever they went. So getting involved in refugee is long-term work. We've got to understand here, yes, Scripture tells us to care for the foreigners. Scripture tells us to care, to care for the asylum seekers. The Scripture tells us to care for the immigrant, the girl. But more than that, God's heart is people on the move. Caring for people on the move. So getting involved in refugee work is long-term it is not, it's a one-off gift, but it's a gift that needs to be used for long term. We need to be involved. I'm going to call upon my wife, Ramabai, to give a couple more stories. Because I'm just, you'll be saying, what is Manoj talking? Just a monotone. So let's have a little variety. So she has better experience. so much for this opportunity. As Manoj said, we've had this long journey with new immigrants because when we came here, we, were, we felt lonely, isolated, vulnerable. So we started as a group of 10 families to reach out to new immigrants. That led us on and to work with the refugees initially. So we have, there you can see pictures of our two Nigerian girls, our Pakistani family, and that Pakistani family, um, when the World Youth Conference was going on here, and the Pope was coming, 
in Pakistan, the pastors told young men, I will get you the visa, buy your return ticket, go, Australia has this provision where within three weeks, you have to go to an immigration office and apply for asylum. So from what our contacts, these young men came leaving their wives and children behind and they had applied for asylum. And while their papers were being processed, they were given no money, no nothing, no benefit, which is fair enough, I suppose. And after a few years, the, uh, this particular family, uh, sorry, I'm skipping. We had 40 people who had actually left the conference and gone to different places. So about five of those men somehow came to know that our church was involved in helping these people. So they came to us. We have a little granny flat. They stayed there. And two families got their, two men got their families here within eight to nine months. And one family stayed in the granny flat because they had four children. And the other family stayed with us. It was a lovely experience. It was a new experience. It was a challenging experience. So when you open your home to refugees or any new immigrant, it is a whole new world you're opening yourself to. There is no privacy. You have to have an open door. We had a child who was two years old who had no concept of toilet, who was not toilet trained, no concept. And because in Pakistan, the Christians are what they call the scavenger class, the lowest, those who clean toilets. So they are very, very poor and they, are, they, don't ha they have no exposure to many things there. So, and also the fear that we may not have enough food. So if we had biscuits or something, it's like little rats, they would take it to their room and hide it so when they were hungry they could eat it. And so our house was infested with rats and all sorts of things happened. But it was the most rewarding experience because that couple, she has, she's now a trained childcare worker. They came in 1910 and 1911, childcare worker. He is a nursing assistant. 20, not 19. Sorry. <laughs> I'm born in the 19th. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and he is um, a nursing assistant at Bankstown Hospital. Their kids with the support of friends and church are now studying in Thomas Hassel School. Anglican School. Anglican School. So God has been so gracious. The other family we had in the granny flat, their son is now studying law at the University of Western Sydney. So God has been so faithful. But the challenge of looking or reaching out to these people is long term. So you can't, it is not what Manoj told me when I got a bit edgy, you know women, we like our kitchen, we like our home, the bathroom clean thing. Manoj said, Ramabai, this is not a home. This is not a house. This is a home. And we are not practicing entertainment. It is hospitality. Whatever we have, we share. So life went on. And then we've had, in the recent past, girls from Nigeria who were cheated by men, brought here, to find their men already had wives and children, went to Nigeria, had a proper wedding, and they were abused physically here and thrown out. So we had them in our home, and then we've applied for refugee status, and under God, both of them have got refugee status now in Australia. So it's been a very welcoming change, a very hard 
but a very rewarding experience. Through it all, I think Manoj and I have learned so much that it is such a rewarding experience when these little children come and call you Amama, which is grandmother, staying by them. I mean, they've all had lots of babies after coming here as well. So they have no family, so I'm there in the delivery room. Our South Asian men don't like going in there. And when they give you that child and they call you Amama, it's like it's your own biological child. So that's the kind of feeling we have. And that boy, Sugat, he is... He came on a boat from Sri Lanka, the one in the extreme left with the black and multicolored shirt. Um, we had an African night at church, that's why they're all dressed. He came in 2013 with a stepdad, his mother, and three siblings. Stepdad was abusing his sister sexually, so we had to separate the marriage. Things we haven't done is and get an AVO on him, on the father, and now he's back in Sri Lanka and the mother and Sugat, this is Sugat, and the family, through a process, accepted Christ, and as a family, they were baptized. Sugat, they came illiterate. He's now finished HSC. He did the non-ATAR one, and he's a third-year mechanic apprentice at Sutton's in the city. So God has been so good, and as Manoj said earlier, it isn't just the two of us. It is our whole church who have been giving them English classes, who have been teaching them, taking him out, teaching him driving, taking all of them. We take them to Baural for the flower show, as Rami said. It is so important. We want them to integrate into our society. That is long term. They dress different. I dress different. I've been in this country for 28 years, but I'm proud of my sari. We dress different to mentally, emotionally be feel welcomed in this country and to make this home is the, what we feel God has called us to do. Sri Lankans? Oh, sorry. And then the asylum seekers, yes, we have about 200. And uh, through Eddie's generosity, through Anglican aid, we have been able to subsidize their income. They have very little. When <clears throat> normal us Australians get social security benefits, asylum seekers get 80% only of what we get. And they have many children, they don't get all the benefits, so through the help of Anglican Aid, we have subsidized it. We ran a Tamil service every Sunday at 12 o'clock, and we would cook a meal for them. And 100 of them, good eaters. We actually had to go and buy good big utensils and double the portion of curry powder. And of course, <laughs> and it was, it, some of the sad things is when we distribute the food, it is their poverty, their need, that they would pinch somebody else's and go away. So it took a long time for us to say, everybody has enough. If we all share, we can have it. You'll get your share again next week. So they have come. Um, some of them, I, I really believe, have found Christ. Some of them, I really believe, came for the goodies. But they needed it, and God gave the provision for us to provide for it. And as we said earlier, they still come home. You can't expect them to chop vegetables the way we do. They will sit on the floor, pour water everywhere, chop their vegetables. I mean, that's the way they do it. So it is a costly thing for us, but it is a very, very rewarding journey. And on a personal note, I think God brought Manoj. Manoj's a late starter. <clears throat> he joined only a few years. I mean, went to college when he was 47, ordained when he was 50. Went to so, college, that is more college. More college, sorry. 
but the thing was, we had finished our rearing, our raising our children, they were all out. And so our home was available, and it's okay if your kids don't visit you often or find your home dirty, that's okay. They have their own homes to look after. So God has been so gracious to us in that he has taken us through this path, and honestly, I think we have received more than what we have given. Thank you. And even as I speak here, as we, you are here, today at 10 o'clock, the Malaysian Airlines flight uh, out of Sydney, uh, one of the refugees, his papers have been scrutinized, rejected, and all avenues looked at, and he's leaving back to Sri Lanka. He came and met us yesterday and said, when I go back, I will ring you. Keep in touch. Yes, that's what, I mean, I was wanting to tell him, I'll keep in touch with you, but before that, he told me he will go home and, and will keep in touch, and will I keep in touch with him? Of course. So, one is, the positive part is the willingness to be adaptable and open to change. When you reach out and meet refugees, or the GER, or the whole range of people, remember, you are open to change. You're one for a church. We change the way we do things. We lost members of our church. There's a Sri Lankan Sinhalese guy who came. He's a gospel. He's a Christian. He came and said, Manoj, I cannot sit with these Tamil refugees. They are bringing disrepute to my country. I'm leaving. But you continue doing this because this is important. I'm glad you're doing it. Please continue doing it, but I'm going. So there are times when it'll be sad when you see members leave. Long term is easier than you identify the real needs of the people and you can reach out to them. And through this process of reaching out to these vulnerable people, from 2009 onward, from the Pakistanis, the Sri Lankans, the Africans, and now we are doing Syrian and Middle Eastern, uh, we have been able to build bridges with other churches, Epping, Mortdale, Moorbank, my previous church, and Rose Bay, and even Roman Catholic churches have come on board trying to help tell us, uh, can we be involved in what you're doing? So these are some of the positive things that we have experienced but there are also negative things, apart from losing members. It is, firstly, very hard work. I was a small church, a small fellowship. There were people who were burnt out because we have a lot of things to do, especially when you have so many people coming through who need to be taken to uh, Centrelink and looked at. Also, the need, I mean, the trauma, the first time we had the Sri Lankans were on, on Anzac Day. We met them at Good Friday, and a few day, a week later was Anzac Day. We said, oh, Anzac Day, you are Sri Lankans. We can play cricket with you. We can have a barbecue. So we said, come along to church. So from Tempe, we ferried them to our church in Liverpool, and then we had a cricket match. I won't tell you who won, but... Um, we want, let's come and have barbecue together. Barbecue took a longer time than we had thought. It wasn't cooking properly. 
So we told him, oh, let's go into the church and let us explain a few things. And then still wasn't ready. So then we said, okay, you tell us your story. And that was a very catharsis moment for them as they told the story about why they left Sri Lanka, why, what happened on the journey. And as they shared the story, our congregation members were devastated. They heard the story for the first time, the struggles of these people. So when you get involved with refugee work long term, it's traumatic. Finally, let me conclude by saying this from Acts chapter 17. From one man, God, he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined the appointed times and boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might see God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of them. God has appointed people to live in countries. But when countries are in war, in um, civil war, disaster strikes them, whatever, they're on the move, they are within another boundary. Maybe God has allowed them to be there because they are seeking God. Mission opportunities are there for all of us to reach out to people. The question is, as more and more people are seeking refuge, will you be there? God is our refuge and strength, a very present, a very present help in trouble. If God is our refuge, we are all refugees. Einstein? If we call God our refuge, we are all refugees. Will you continue the long haul in serving them? Amen.